Hello, Rebels. You're listening to a free audio-only recording of my show, Rebel Roundup. Tonight, my guests are Sheila Gunn-Reed and Kean Bexty. Now, if you like listening to this podcast, then you would love watching it. But in order to watch, you need to be a subscriber to premium content. That's what we call our long-format TV-style shows here on The Rebel. Subscribers get access to watching my weekly show as well as all the other great TV-style shows too. It's only $8 a month to subscribe, or you can subscribe annually and get two months free. And just for podcast listeners, you can save an extra 10% on a new premium membership by using the coupon code PODCAST when you subscribe. Just go to premium.rebelnews.com to become a member. And please leave a five-star review on this podcast and subscribe in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Those reviews are a great way to support the Rebel without ever having to spend a dime. And now, enjoy this free audio-only version of my show. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, ladies and gentlemen, and the rest of you, in which we look back at some of the very best commentaries of the week by your favorite Rebels. I'm your host, David Menzies. Well, step right up, ladies and gentlemen, for the Freak Show is back in town. Yes, I speak of Jonathan, a.k.a. Jessica Yaniv, the deranged con man gaming the system. It was back in a BC court, but alas and alack, This creep was allowed to game the system once again by moving his trial from the afternoon to the morning, thereby avoiding contact with the likes of Sheila Gunn-Reed. And Sheila will have all the nitty-gritty details. Shockers! A bunch of social justice warriors in Vancouver decided to break the law, and for a change, the police did not turn a blind eye to their antics. Nope, they arrested them. Ian Bextay will have all the details. And finally, letters. We get your letters. We get your letters every day. And I'll share some of your responses regarding my visit to that disgusting tent city that has sprung up next to the majestic National War Memorial in Ottawa. It all has to do with creating awareness about the climate crisis or the climate emergency or the climate something. But guess what, folks? This whole movement is a sham because... Aside from Incognito, a.k.a. Canada's wannabe Greta Thunberg, absolutely nobody is actually living in those tents. Those are your rebels. Now let's round them up. They also hired a lawyer again today. When Keen was here, he was denied access to the courthouse behind me by the sheriffs at the request of Jonathan Yaniv. So someone from our Vancouver law firm met me at the courthouse to make sure that I had access to the courtroom the way any journalist would. But it wasn't necessary. Here's what I can tell you about what happened at the courthouse today. Jonathan Yaniv had his court appearance bumped up to this morning with no notice. In fact, his appearance was still on the official docket for this afternoon. He had his newly hired lawyer come to address the matter this morning and had it put over until February 24th, just 
more manipulating the system from Jonathan Yaniv to protect himself from any form of accountability. Holy heartbreak, folks. I can sure feel your disappointment. I mean, after all, presenting a Jonathan Yaniv video that is missing Mr. Yaniv, well, it's kind of like going to the freak show and missing out on Lobster Boy or the Bearded Lady. It just ain't the same, is it? But don't blame us. Yaniv found a lawyer, you see, and he's gaming the system. He moved the trial date from afternoon to morning, thereby avoiding any contact from the media. And with more on the latest installment of that traveling freak show that is Jonathan Yaniv, is the host of The Gun Show, Sheila Gunn-Reed. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, my friend. Hey, David. Thanks for having me on the show. It is always a pleasure. So, Sheila, I totally, totally get it. Yaniv is a con man, likely a con man with mental health issues. His yep. bailiwick is gaming the system. That's what he does. I get it. But, yeah. Sheila, what I don't get is this. Why are the authorities in charge allowing this odious humanoid to game the system in the first place? I think they're scared. I think they're really scared themselves of having to face a human rights complaint and getting dragged through the system they're a part of themselves. I mean, if you're a government employee, you're a high-value target because Jonathan Yaniv can go after the endless supply of resources of a government worker as opposed to the meager earnings of an immigrant esthetician woman. I think everybody's walking on thin ice around Jonathan Yaniv because they are scared of what he can do to them and what he can do to manipulate the system to do to, that, to, do to him. He's really a menace. I would suggest he's probably ruined 50 plus lives in the course of a few years. There are so many women we've never even heard about that have probably been bullied by Jonathan Yaniv. You know, Sheila, I would buy that explanation about a year ago, uh, because, you know, in yeah. the human rights pyramid, uh, right now, uh, occupying the very pinnacle is trans. There's no question about it. Um, however, we have seen in the past year that this guy is a habitual liar, he fakes being disabled. He brings yep. upon a plethora of lawsuits uh, to people who are ill-equipped to defend themselves. And Sheila, the thing is, um, even the BC Human Rights Tribunal, which is the most kooky, the most far-left yeah. progressive tribunal of all the human rights tribunals in Canada, even they have said, not only enough is enough, but we're fining you $6,000 for money to go to three of the uh, uh, defendants that he went after. So I guess what I'm saying is that the authorities as well as society you know, as a whole surely realize that this guy is a con man, he's a grifter, and they shouldn't be worried about this guy playing the trans card because even people in the trans community say we want nothing to do with this train wreck. Well, I think, though, some of them are true believers also. Hmm. Um, we saw with Kean's experience um, at the courthouse, um, they kept Kean out of the courthouse. The bailiffs kept him out of the courthouse, um, preventing him from reporting on Jonathan Yaniv for no other reason than Jonathan Yaniv asked them to. I mean, the, I think there are some true believers that are in all of this, and some people that uh, maybe don't like us 
more than they don't like Jonathan Yaniv, which is kind of gross when you think about it, because all we do is tell the other side of the story. We aren't, you know, trying to force anybody to touch our genitals that I know of. Well, you know, Sheila, the other puzzling <laughs> thing about, yeah, I know. <laughs> Please, Sheila, I scare easy, okay? I know. <laughs> but, you know, the other new nugget of information uh, on on this particular story in which you didn't get to confront him because of the gaming of the system was the fact yeah. that, as you reported, he now has a lawyer. Lawyers yeah. don't do this for nothing. And I've asked you this question before. I've asked it to Kian. I've asked it to Ezra. You know, when, when you follow the money, where is Jonathan Yaniv's money coming from? Because I don't know if this guy has a job even. He seems to be a full-time agitator. I don't think that pays well. He's welched out on that $6,000 I mentioned a few minutes ago that the yep. BC Human Rights Tribunal told him to pay those uh, three defendants. So what, do you have any insight, Sheila, as to where he's getting the do-re-mi? Well, he feigns this disability, and I'm sure there's some money in pretending to be disabled. Uh, we know he's not because he sure turned and ran from little old me, moved pretty fast when he was, you know, confronted by somebody. Um, when just a few short months ago, he was cruising around in a mobility scooter and wearing some sort of heart monitor. Um, I, I think there's a lot of stuff going on in the background that I don't know if we know about. I, I think the Human Rights Tribunal stuff is just a version of a slip and fall lawsuit for him. So I wonder how many of those are in the background. We did do some digging um, when we initially started investigating Jonathan and even there are a lot of vexatious lawsuits in his past that we could find. I'm sure there are others that we couldn't find. And who knows, maybe the mom is the, um, you know, the financial arm of the Jonathan Yaniv um, public menace thing. Wow, what a, what a proud mother she must be. But of course, as we've oh, seen yeah. on video, she seems to have the proverbial screw loose too. I mean, that's a, that's a mother-son relationship uh, made in heaven. But you would think though, Sheila, especially with him not paying, at least that's, a, that's the most current information I have, uh, those settlements to those uh, defendants, yeah. you would think that alone would make the BC Human Rights Tribunal stop entertaining this guy but that doesn't seem to be the case does it no they seem to be perfectly willing to entertain him once he repays those other those other women um they're not particularly tired of him they just would like him to pay his bills or his judgments against him but as soon as he does they're willing to hear more cases from him so it none of this has caused the human rights tribunal mechanism to have a come to jesus moment they're just concerned that he's not paying his bills. You know, I, I kind of get that too, because at the end of the day, especially a human rights tribunal, when, you know, despite what some of the lefty progressives will say that this is an inherent racist and discriminatory country, yeah. that sort of stuff doesn't exist. So these tribunals have to justify their existence yeah. by actually entertaining 
nuisance complaints as though they're legitimate complaints and for them to reject them out um, out of hand right away i guess that would be bad for business eh sheila because the number one job of any bureaucracy is of course to grow the bureaucracy yeah i mean I, i'm sure if we did a very close examination of the number of uh or the kind of complaints that are being seen by these human rights tribunals I bet you it would be in the high 90s percentile, the number of them that are just nuisance complaints um, where someone can manipulate the system, much like Jonathan Yaniv is, to punish someone that they have felt that has hurt their feelings. Um, because as you know, the, the complainant um, really bears no financial responsibility as they proceed through the process. It's on the uh, defendant in the system to hire a lawyer, fight back, and to prove that you're not racist. It's so ironic that it's, you know, a, a, it's call it, it calls itself a human rights tribunal, but it violates your basic human right to be um, innocent until proven guilty. The whole tribunal system works from the position that you are guilty and you have to prove yourself innocent. Oh, 100%. In fact, I'd go a step further. I would say the human rights tribunals operate in violation of the Charter of Rights and yeah. Freedoms. But oh, you know, absolutely. Sheila, we got to wrap it here. I, I should point out that maybe Aniv fooled you and a few of the other journalists covering this case by doing that switcheroo time slot. But you're not going to get fooled again because, as I understand it, uh, for the next court date, you're going to get there super bright and early so they can't, you know, further move it and uh, trick the, the media uh, into not covering this. Uh, that, that's still on the docket for you, is it? Yeah. You know, David, when you say super bright and early, there's no brightness when I have to leave the house. I have to leave the house at three o'clock in the morning to make that early, early morning flight to British Columbia so that I can catch Jonathan Neve at the courthouse because nobody hurts my friends with impunity. You were clubbed like a baby seal. Kean was punched in the head. Uh, <laughs> we're going to see this thing through to the very end. And if Jonathan Neve has to run the gauntlet of Sheila Gunn-Reed to get into that courthouse, that's what's going to happen because I'm going to continue doing accountability journalism, journalism on him, whether he likes it or not. And he can pull a switcheroo, but we've got people watching the docket at the courthouse constantly. So he can run and he can try to hide, but we're going to be there. And if people want to support my early morning flights to British Columbia and the two uh, security professionals that I have to have with me and the lawyer that I have to have with me to make sure that I get into the courthouse, they can do that at yanivetrial.com. Great. Well, uh, Sheila, you're quite right. I did feel like a baby seal being clubbed, but you, <laughs> you, my friend, are my Bridget Bardot coming to the defense of the helpless seal pups like the menzoid. Thank you so uh. much for your hard work on this file, uh, Sheila, and good luck at the next court appearance. You got it. Thanks, David. Thank you, Sheila. And that was Sheila Gunn-Reed somewhere in the hinterland of northern Alberta. Keep it here, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. Investing for Rebel News in Vancouver, British Columbia at the corner of Clark and Hastings. This is the location 
where the Vancouver Police Department set an example for every police department in the entire country, the RCMP included. The Vancouver Police moved in quickly Monday morning after an injunction was handed in just the day before. You might remember in Carsland, Alberta, an injunction was in place for days and the RCMP did absolutely nothing. It was Unifor that ended up folding on their own. Here, however, that was not the case. These pipeline protesters showed no indication that they had any intention of leaving and it's the same all across the country. Now, I also spoke with some of the police officers that are here on duty on the corner of the road here at Clark and Hastings, and I asked them if they expect it to bubble up again, if they expect them either to return here or blockade somewhere else in the city. And the police officers said, no, they don't expect that to happen because they have lots of police officers on standby and they'd be able to break up anything as it happens if it contravenes that court injunction that was laid out on Sunday. Man. The Vancouver Police Department are my heroes. I really wish that every other police department in this country acted as swiftly and efficiently as they did this morning. They arrested 34 people that were blockading this intersection here as early as 5 in the morning. And they're prepared to do exactly the same thing if these protesters contravene this court injunction again. Wow, did we just witness a belated Christmas miracle? I mean, just imagine folks, a bunch of losers were breaking the law and instead of turning a blind eye and calling for yet more endless and useless dialogue, law enforcement marched in and arrested the lawbreakers. So, yes, it can be done. And with more on this story is Kian Bextie. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, my friend. Thanks for having me. So, Kian, do my eyes deceive me, or did I just see in your video a bunch of entitled social justice warriors get free rides courtesy of the state via the paddy wagon. That's exactly what you saw, David. Unfortunately, after uh, this aired, I learned that the individuals were quickly released um, and it's not clear if any charges were ever laid. All we know is that they were arrested, which at the end of the day is better than leaving them on the streets to disrupt uh, commuters. So I, I'm happy to report that they were indeed arrested. I would have liked to see some charges I would have liked them to have stayed in jail because right after they get released from jail, you know what these these thugs go and do. Um, but but uh, it was a good day to see the Vancouver police set an example for every single police department across the country who's currently facing similar issues and is sitting on their and they're all just sitting on their hands. Yeah, no, it was a refreshing tonic, and I got to tell you, Ken, back in September, I was in Vancouver for a different story. And I stumbled across the day before I was to leave, there was a park in Vancouver that's been, the entire park, baseball diamond and everything, has been turned into a homeless shelter, an illegal one. The city put up notices that, you know, as of this day at 6 p.m. precisely, you must vacate or law enforcement will come in. So I got there for half an hour before 6 and, um, Nobody vacated. And not only that, Kian, I hung around for another two hours and then I finally saw a bunch of Vancouver uh, police cruisers come by and I thought, oh, here's where the fireworks start. No, they were providing an escort for people in support of the illegal homeless encampment. So it was, it was just so crazy. And that's why it was just so refreshing to see uh, your video uh, of them actually trying to clean up things. But in the big picture, Ian, this country is in a, a state of paralysis on the rails thanks to illegal protesting. And um, maybe this is an indicator that, you know what, 
it can be done, and it can be done without bloodshed, and it's all about enforcing the rule of law. Yeah, I, I mean, for example, in British Columbia, it's Section 204, I believe, of the Motor Vehicle Act. Uh, and it says very clearly on that act that you're not allowed to uh, put garbage on the road, swill, uh, cans, wires, a whole host of things. You're not allowed to put anything on roadways. And it's written in stone. It's written on uh, uh, legislation and the police could act on it. So we, we've been seeing across the country, oh, they've been waiting for injunctions. We saw it in Carsland at the co-op. They were waiting for an injunction against uniform. But even when the injunctions are awarded in favor of either the government, uh, via rail, CP, CN, whatever it is, co-op, uh, the police decide that they're, 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 uh, what they need to do is just watch things and make sure everyone stays safe rather than enforcing the laws that are written very, very clearly. We saw the exact same thing happen on Vancouver Island on the Inner Island Highway uh, where, a, uh, where a group of bandits, really, they were non-Indigenous, were putting up a blockade in the Comox area. And the Comox First Nation just distanced themselves yesterday. It's a huge story that hasn't really been talked about in the media yet. Uh, there's a story that I just put out on Thursday about it. Um, there's uh, the, the Comox First Nation had to distance themselves from these people because they were su acting so lawlessly, putting up all of this plywood and garbage and trash and pallets. And the police showed up and arrested a Canadian patriot who was taking the garbage off the road, throwing it out, throwing it into the ditch so that cars could get by. They arrested him, but they wouldn't arrest the people putting the trash on the highway to blockade it. It was absolutely a disgrace. You know, that is a disgrace. I, I, I know what you're talking about, uh, Kian, and it was reminiscent of uh, Caledonia when you had another illegal occupation happening there and the police arresting a man for putting a small Canadian flag on a vacant lot. Just just absolutely surreal. And that leads me to this question. Ken, do we have a two-tier justice system in Canada right now? And by that I mean the rule of law for 99.9% .9 of us, and then a different rule of law for, say, union people, natives, Jonathan Yaniv. In other words... Yes things that are in the politically correct uh, spectrum where suddenly the normal rule of law doesn't apply. You're absolutely right about that, David. I was just going to bring up Jonathan Yaniv, uh, whether or not, whether you're a union, if you're, if you're indigenous, actually you don't even have to be indigenous. You just have to pretend to be indigenous, just like these people in Comox. They're saying they're fighting for indigenous people. So that gives them the pass. Jonathan Yaniv says that he's trans, even though he's not. Not really. We both know that it's just a fetish of his. Even though he's not trans, just says he is, he has this veil of protection. The RCMP won't touch him. The Surrey police won't touch him. Langley police won't touch him. All you have to do is pretend to be a progressive SJW and boom, you're free to do whatever you want. And if you're a conservative or just an everyday Canadian, hell-bent on enforcing the law and making sure that you know roadways are clear, they're going to come at you. And, and you know, I, I saw it firsthand again on Sunday night when I was in Ottawa, Kian, where you had uh, Anne Cognito, not her real name. Uh, she's created a disgusting and grotesque tent city right in the shadow of the National War Memorial. Uh, she's been there over two months. 
and nobody will do anything in terms of law enforcement. Um, here's the question I have. Do you, are these decisions, Kian, coming out of um, individual members of law enforcement, such as you know the sheriffs you ran into at the BC courthouse at the Yaniv trial, or are they getting instructions from high above to behave and act a certain way? It's not the beat cops, you know, it's not the people on the ground. I had a bunch of off the record conversations with officers, and I'm not gonna specify exactly which location it was that I've been at over the past few weeks, but the officers were disgusted with what was going on. They said that their hands were tied. They wouldn't say it on camera, of course, because we all know that if they speak out and if it's shown that these, uh, you know, the, 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 the lowest level of DRC, but the, the people actually uh, tasked with being on location, if they say how absolutely asinine the rules are that are being put on them by the upper levels of the RCMP, like uh, like the RCMP commissioner, who's such good friends with Justin Trudeau, well, they're going to get fired, first off. That's the main problem. And second off, people are just going to lose their minds that the 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 enforcement of the, that the, that everyday law enforcement have their hands tied. It, it, it would it would be mass chaos if people understood and people are starting to understand that there there really is no law enforcement in this country if you are an everyday Canadian. It's unbelievable. You know we have to wrap it here, Kian. But it's kind of funny. I you know the iconic image of Lady Justice. She's holding the scales in one hand. She's blindfolded uh, over her eyes, and yet I would say. Far from a blindfold these days, Lady Justice is wearing X-ray glasses. It kind of depends on the on the identity politics uh, at the moment whether what kind of law is going to be enforced or not. And to me, that ain't the law. The law should be the law, and we should all be equal under the law. So we've got to keep our eye on this file as we move forward. Thanks so much for joining me yet again, Kian. No problem, David. You got it. And that was Kian Bexty in Calgary. Keep it here, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. Let's go a, a door knocking or a, a tent flap knocking and find out how many people really are part of the incognito movement. Okay, so this is the first tent don't see any kind of human activity. Um, let me just uh, see if anyone's home. Hello, are you in there? Hello? No, as you can see, just empty chairs. Absolutely nobody's here, folks. Okay, let's try tent number. Well, I don't hear anybody here. Look at this little guy here, this orange tent. Hello. Empty. 
empty and not only that I I don't think anyone could fit in this tent there's absolutely no signs that anyone's ever been in there nope no folks as you can see nobody in this tent either oh poor incognito this hippie passed her best before date oh she so desperately wants to be canada's version of greta thunberg but not even ottawa's eco nuts are buying what she's selling because as you just saw there's plenty of vacancy at that disgusting tent city down at canada's national war memorial what a fraud what a scam in any event, here's what some of you had to say. Greg Forsyth writes, All those hardcore activists are tucked up in bed in their nice, warm, suburban, middle-class basements. Or, Craig, maybe they were in the Chateau Frontenac across the street, assuming they were able to borrow Daddy's Amex gold card, that is. Sting Cool writes, Those tents are abandoned property. You can pick up those tents and take them to a pawn shop might get 20 bucks for the trouble. Hey Sting, now that's what I call true environmentalism, namely cleaning up the trash left on public property by a bunch of brain-dead litter bugs. Frog Fur writes, I hope it gets extremely cold. Well, Frog Fur, it went down to minus 18 the night we were there. Um, just when is this global warming thingy gonna kick in anyways? And Woodsman for Life writes, Is this woman on welfare? If so, should she not be out looking for work? I smell a rat here. Hey, good point, Woodsman. As always, you need to follow the money with these types of stories. Obviously, somebody is paying for those tents, which I should point out are produced due to the petrochemical industry. Yeah, the same industry those kooks want to eradicate. Wonder how they'll stay warm if their wacky wishes ever came true. Well, that wraps up another edition of Rebel Roundup. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next week. And hey, folks, never forget, without risk, there can be no glory. Good night. Good night.